0: Welcome back to the Swiss Sports Show, guys. I know it's been a little minute. I've been a little busy over the recent weeks, uh, you know, focusing on my main career and, you know, figuring out what's the next step. But today I have a very special episode with a very special guest, and we're going to go through a slew of topics, uh, starting with Ben Simmons and sort of the misconceptions uh, around his game and exactly why he brings so much value to the court and how his impact goes so much further beyond what the box numbers show. Secondarily, I wanted to tackle some of the rebuilding teams in the NBA. We've seen a bunch of trades made over the last year or so, uh, where teams acquire serious draft capital. I mean, a team like the Thunder has 34 total draft picks over the next seven seasons, which sound absurd, but you know. So I wanted to ask my guests here, you know, what exactly makes up a good front office and which front office, you know, of the many rebuilding teams such as the Pistons, Rockets, among others, uh, could become serious powerhouses. We've seen the impact of draft capital in the recent uh, years with the Sixers basically turning the whole core of their fortune by landing guys like Embiid and Ben Simmons. The Celtics were able to nab Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and so forth. And finally, to you know, end up the sh- end off the show, I wanted to you know, keep it lighthearted and just do some fun stuff like ask, you know, who both of our favorite players in the league to watch are. And so we've seen two guys uh, make significant statistical leaps, and it's not like they're uh, just a second-year pro that's gained more playing time. It's Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood, you know, guys that had interesting pathways to becoming these uh, 20-point-plus point-per-game scores in the league today. And yeah, so without further ado, uh, welcome to the show. This is Tim Ross. He's a basketball writer and probably, well, actually, definitely the most special guest we've had on the show so far. And yeah, I'm very excited to start the show off.
1: Hey, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all of the intro. Uh, yeah, uh, I just dropped a piece not too long ago. So uh, yeah, I've been really focused on, you know, watching a lot of film and all of that. And so I'm really excited to talk about all this with you.
0: Yeah, so I forgot to mention, but, um, you know, if you guys want to find uh, Tim Ross's content, I'll be posting a screenshot on Instagram of his Twitter. And basically in the pinned tweet, you'll be able to find his most recent article on Kevin Porter Jr. A player that if, if you're my friend that I talk basketball with, you know that I've been raving about that kid for years now. And I think what Tim does over here in the article does a perfect job of really summarizing, you know, who Kevin Porter Jr. is, you know, the potential that he has and what makes him such a special talent. So let's get right into our first topic. So this is actually a a pretty funny thing because the way me and Tim really got close per se was because we got into an argument with this verified user guy on Twitter. Um, and we thought we were arguing with like some celebrity and thought we were both about to you know come up off it a little bit but uh the the main point was that he was someone that thought ben Simmons has shown no growth over you know since he's been in the league and i think you know while we both think that's pretty asinine of a take i know that there's a lot of people you know across nBA circles and across just ca- the casual nBA fan that will look at the box score numbers, and like the fact that he doesn't necessarily have a jump shot yet and we will readily agree. So one of the first things I wanted to do is, you know, kind of let Tim uh, tell you guys on what makes Ben Simmons so special. So, you know, take the floor.
1: Hey, uh, I appreciate it. So I think the main issue with that a lot of people have for Ben Simmons is the shooting. And I'm not going to excuse that, you know, dude's. Who plays basketball. Like, the game is about putting the ball in the basket. But, you know, I think there's more of the game than just jump shooting, and Ben Simmons is one of those unique players who does literally everything else at a high level. Like, what is he, 25, 26? He's already been an All-Star multiple times, All-NBA multiple times. He's definitely getting All-Defense by the end of this year, and, like, he's ridiculous. Yep. Like, Reggie Miller was talking about him the other day, and I think Reggie Miller was talking about how you know, the box score will only say that, you know, he got like, you know, 10, 11 assists, but he actually was responsible for like 30 or 40 points just by his creation. Uh, for example, there was a viral moment uh, two or three days ago where uh, Faku Campazo from uh, the Denver Nuggets, I believe, uh, sort of trucked him and uh, Ben Simmons fell over. Keep in mind, Ben Simmons is a huge dude. He's like 6'11", you know, can handle the ball like God. And so... When he fell, everyone's like, wow, look at this tiny guy taking Ben Simmons down. But part of what Rich and I talk about is the fact that, you know, when you're watching basketball, especially for the people who watch it at like a high level, um, like, you know, like the video coordinators and the coaches, you have to really watch these things multiple times. And what really stuck out to me on that highlight is if you look, Ben Simmons actually calls for Tyrese Maxey, who's handling the ball, to run past him. And that's actually one of Ben Simmons' greatest skills. It's the fact that he will use his ability as a screener to create for others. I mean, if you look at Milwaukee and what they've done with Giannis, just activating him as a screener, it's exceptional. And that's why there's so many people compare Ben to a Giannis. You know, the lack of the shot, the ability to pass, the ability to create in the half court. And uh, what really makes Ben Simmons special on the offensive end is that ability to handle at such a large size, to be a screener, to be a roller, uh, you know. And this season, he's especially, he's been a lot more aggressive driving to the hoop. And I think an issue we see with a lot of young guards is that they don't understand they can take the game at their own pace. For example, Trey Young, you know, Trey Young will do the thing where he's running and he'll instantly stop to get that foul. And a lot of young guards have that issue where they only know how to start and stop. They don't know how to really manage their speed and know when to turn on the jets and that's what makes someone like for example lebron so special because lebron always is in his bag he knows when to do things when not to and so ben simmons has really had that growth similar to trey young this year where he understands where his spots are when to turn on the jets when not to and that's why they've seen such an improvement in him i think um in the post he's a top 15 player in the league he's in the 65th percentile he hits over like 58 percent of his hook shots which is over 10 percent from last year and that's just on the offensive end like i could talk about ben simmons on the offensive end forever but what really is his claim to fame is what he does on the defensive end um the sixers have had like easily the best defense in the league this year if not a top three you know aside from the lakers who you know lebron and anthony davis who are arguably two of the best of, of the best defenders we've ever seen um when you have Ben Simmons on the perimeter and you can have him guard Luka Doncic one day and Damian Lillard the other day and Giannis the next day and RJ Barrett like there are only a handful of guys in the league that you can really go you are going to guard the opposing team's best player and they are going to be locked down from beginning to the end of the game and that's really what Ben Simmons brings to the game because when Rich and I were in that Twitter discussion with that verified guy. He was like, Ben Simmons doesn't love the game. He doesn't have that energy. He doesn't seem to have a passion. But that's someone who really doesn't watch the defensive end of the ball and sees what Ben Simmons does on a nightly basis. He is the guy they put on the best player. You know, when Giannis, last year in the playoffs in the bubble, and they were like, why doesn't Giannis do it? He doesn't want to go away from scheme. Ben Simmons is the guy who will do what they're telling Giannis to do. He will go on the best player, and he will lock that guy up for all 48 minutes. And I don't think there are many guys you could say, hey, go guard Dame, go guard Luca, go guard LeBron, and they'll be extremely successful in all of them. I mean, these guys, literally all those guys, they make a living off of cooking dudes. So the fact that Ben Simmons does that and does that at such a high level is really what makes him special. But, you know, I'm not going to act as if Ben Simmons is perfect. But, you know, I've been going on for a bit, so I just wanted to know what your, <laughs> what your input is, you know, on Ben Simmons and what you think about what I've said so far.
0: No, that's that's fine. I mean, that was all just absolutely correct what you, got, uh, what you just said. And, um, you know, I think at the start of the season, what really bothered me about Ben Simmons and what has really changed um, for the significantly better, um, you know, when I watched the first couple of Sixers games, it felt, felt like, you know, Ben Simmons was obviously getting to the hoop, you know, at ease, as he always does, but it felt like he was doing way too much of, you know, drive in and kick out, which could, you know, often lead to, you know, poor passes, because, you know, the guards that he is playing with aren't, like, bigger guards. You know, Seth Curry, Shake Milton, uh, Max even, they're all around that 6'3", six, 6'4", six, range if I'm not mistaken, and so I think early on we saw a little bit of turnover proneness, but... Really, um, I think it's, like, the first time Embiid went down or really just something clicked maybe, like, 15, 16 games into the season where you really saw him um, just go straight into the hoop and, you know, really start to use that, uh, his frame and just, like, his overall finishing touch. And, you know, you were talking about from the post how he's in the sixty-five, sixty-fifth percentile, making uh, 58% of his hook shots. And, yeah, often, like, as a scorer, you know, in the post, I think Ben Simmons is one of the best he's He's really uh, just fun to watch. He knows he uses his footwork like really uh, well. Like it just seems really fluid the way he, you know, maneuvers himself in the post. But also, I think um, you know from advancement, I don't have a metric to back this up per se, but as a post playmaker, I think Ben Simmons has taken a, a massive leap. I think you know there was that thing you know before the last couple seasons where Ben Simmons and Embiid would kind of get tied up in the paint a little bit too much and. Uh, kudos to Embiid I think he's been stepping out a little bit more too but allowing Ben Simmons to really um, dominate in the post and he's doing a great job like keeping an open eye and his vision has always been something that's like remarkable ever since he entered the league he was a guy that there's a reason he was compared to you know out of high school as like the next quote-unquote LeBron James and while that may not you know be the case of who he actually is, you know, he's still among, to me at least, one of the most valuable players in the league just because of, you know, the diversity that you were talking about, the fact that he can, you know, really just cover anyone on defense. Like people talk about, you know, some of these bigger guys like, you know, Jokic who has a remarkable playmaking ability and they're like, oh, this guy's like a seven-foot guard. But I mean, he's not, he's just a fantastic playmaker as a big man. Ben Simmons, on the other hand, is, like, really, like, it's hard to exactly classify him into any sort of position because he can do it all. He can cover the big man. You know, he can cover, like you were saying, he can go from covering Doncic one night to covering Giannis the next, and that's an unbelievably special trait that really cannot be duplicated uh, throughout the league. Like, there are very few players, and, you know, the fact that he goes and does that, no matter who is the best player, he goes out and covers the best player. I think makes him like, obviously he's not like a per se MVP candidate, but if you think of guys that bring the most like value to their team, I mean, Ben Simmons really does have to be up there.
1: Oh yeah. He's in the top five, top 10. Uh, yeah, I think, I think what you discussed sort of with MV sort of being able to clear out, um, that's one of my favorite things. So, uh, I consume a lot of hoops content. Uh, that's why I don't think I'm very knowledgeable on hoops. I just listen to a lot of other very knowledgeable people. And um, for anyone who really wants to understand, like, the basics of, like, the X's and O's in a really accessible way, two YouTube channels I'll recommend, besides obviously and Basketball, which is, you know, MVP tier. It's Hoop Vision 68 and Half Court Hoops. Um, those guys do the best explanations. And that was really what showed me, um, how good Ben and Embiid could be together. Because um, what Doc has Embiid do is the thing called lift action. And you can only honestly do this with a stretch big. Because we all know Embiid is, what, the best post player in the league? If not, he's second yeah. best to Jokic. Like, there's no one yeah. else who compares to him. But because Embiid is such a good shooter, and he's been shooting at a historic level this year, like, his yeah. shooting is Like, Embiid doesn't miss that... What Embiid can do is that, you know, if he sees Ben coming and, you know, he doesn't really have an opportunity in post, Embiid can just time it very well where he just sort of pulls back to the three-point line. And that's called, um, obviously, I'm not doing the most detailed jokes way, but that's sort of what lift action does. It's when a big sort of, you know, goes from the post you know, up to the three-point line. And what that does is that then clears the paint for Ben. And, you know, Ben, who has a different set of skills, maybe can, you know, he can manipulate the pose differently. Obviously, Embiid is sort of like a jumbo harden, you know. He has his little step backs, his posts, twists, all those dancing moves. But, you know, um, ben, has more of, uh, ben has more of, you know, that hook shot, as you mentioned, you know, the footwork, the ability to sort of get around his big, to sort of get around his opposing big. And do all those things and i think that's really what makes him special as a as sort of a foil to joel is that he can he's a big as well but he's a big that is also able to you know use his large frame and really um bully defenders and i think that's the biggest complaint that a lot of us have is that okay ben if you're not going to shoot you got to be able to body these people because nine out of ten times, you're the biggest dude there besides Embiid. And, you know, for one reason or another, Ben sort of avoids physicality, and I think this is a thing we see a lot with uh, younger guards. Um, you know, they sort of have to learn to be physical because, you know, uh, for their whole lives up until that point, they were the biggest, fastest, strongest dude on the court. And then you get to the yeah. NBA where everyone was the biggest, fastest, strongest dude. And so they have to adjust because, obviously... You don't get into the NBA unless you have an outlier skill, but you need to sort of learn how to leverage those skills in a way that allows you to create effectively. And Ben Simmons, the physicality thing, is the thing that he's been able to do more this year, where he's able to, you know, when he has the drive, just not be afraid of going straight into his defender because he knows he'll be able to push that guy off the spot and create an opportunity for himself. Uh, But it's sort of... uh, It's sort of this weird balance that you have to play with guys like Ben where you have to understand, okay, that it may not be entirely that they don't know that the physicality, but it may be the way that they mentally approach the game. Because I think a lot of us just go, well, he's big. Why doesn't he just go and body that guy in the post? But it has a lot more to do with the way someone approaches a game because it's easy for us to, you know, backseat drive and be like, hey, you need to do this when you know maybe yeah. for one reason or another what they're seeing on the court doesn't resemble what we see from you know our perfect angle or from our couch in our homes and that's really what it is and that's before we get to the mental part of players because people you know i'll use the example of paul george paul george is like what a 40 percent three-point shooter but you know in the playoffs yeah. dude's hitting the side of the backboard and yeah. it has a lot to do with the way we talk about these guys and the way they absorb criticism now ben simmons has a lot of great quotes where he's you know saying f these uh, f these pundits they don't know what they're saying which is the right approach honestly don't they shouldn't listen to us (laughs) They should listen to their coaches they should listen to the people who are paid to make them the best because those that's their jobs our job is just to criticize them and enjoy criticizing them you know but when it comes to the players they should you know people in the media will say contradictory things and all this stuff and if you really listen to that noise you can really let it affect you and get in your head and i think that's what we really see with someone like paul george why his performance drops off so bad like could you imagine like going to work and every time you go to work if you mess up you're going to be trending on twitter like millions of people are going to be talking about yeah. you a pandemic <laughs> like people be like yeah. pandemic. <laughs> and i'd be like bro like that would make me emotionally so stressed out at my job like i probably wouldn't even be able to perform that well and so when we talk about guys like Ben simmons we have to really keep that in mind, that Ben is a great player. He's still very young. I mean, like, you know, you talked about it earlier. Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, they took years to get to the point where they are now. And yeah. Ben is better than both of them. <laughs> exactly. Ben is better than both of them, and we're complaining about him. And it's like, yeah. we have to keep this stuff in perspective that these guys are so great. And it's not to say that we shouldn't expect, you know, we shouldn't expect better from them, but just we have to keep all of these things in mind because Ben is such a great and multi multifaceted player that when we just go oh he doesn't shoot oh he doesn't do this meanwhile he's defending one through five he's screening you know he's setting some of the best screens in the league creating space for his teammates you know he'll set a screen for maxi to get a pass to seth curry who you know seth curry he's not steph but they're both money from you know from deep yeah and it's that sort of thing that i think we really need we just need to have more nuance and i'll just I mean, Twitter's bad for nuance in general, but yeah. I think in general we just need nuance in our discussion of someone like Ben Simmons because he's so talented, because he has it. And then you also mentioned the drive and kick stuff, and I think that's something that, I really, that really stuck with me personally is that sometimes Ben relies so much on, you know, like he's a good passer and he knows it. So sometimes yeah. he'll just drive in without a plan, and Ben is so good he can just make a plan out of nothing. Exactly. You know, a worse player who drives in without a plan will be like, bro, you can't drive in without a plan. But Ben is so good that we're just like, what are you doing, bro? And it's those things where Ben is so talented and he's leaned on his talent in such a specific way that I think. And that's one of the reasons why I really appreciate Doc Rivers, that Doc Rivers created a very different context with the team that forces Ben to have to adapt in new ways, to have to create in new ways. For example, Dwight Howard will be sitting in the dunker spot when Embiid is not in the game, and Ben is the primary creator. And what you end up with is you're asking Ben, oh, he can't just go to his comfortable place in dunker spot. So now, you know, Ben has to drive across the key, and that's when you see him have to dig back into the hook shot. Because last year, the hook shot sort of fell off, and we're all really concerned because, like, okay, bro, if you aren't shooting from deep, you need that hook shot to be able to create, you know, in the half court. If you're not dunking it every time. And so, you know, I think Doc has done a good job of sort of pushing Ben in like a very quiet and subtle way that we may not see. And I think that's something we yeah. really need to understand that, you know, Doc Rivers is one of the best coaches to ever do. He's a championship winning coach. He knows what he's doing with Ben Simmons. And so, yeah. you know, we can really enjoy, we can really see and enjoy like the work that it is, but we have to sort of, make sure they're really looking to see, okay, is Ben just not being aggressive or does it have to do with the spacing? Does he feel compressed? Are all the players in his line of sight and, you know, he just hasn't turned his head in the appropriate way? Like, it's all these sort of more more subtle things that I don't think, you know, watching highlights or looking at the box score really lets you see. You see.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, I think you raised a lot of, like, valuable points right there. Uh, Going back to where you said how You know, players are kind of, you know, hesitant with contact. I mean, that's something I see with, like, Tatum a lot, too, because, you know, living in Massachusetts, I do end up watching a lot of Celtics games, and it's so frustrating watching this guy who's, like, 6'8", I would probably say 225, 230 maybe, uh, maybe smaller than that. But he's someone that just takes so many floaters, and it's, like, the most frustrating thing ever, because, you know, know, he's he's pretty well built. Like, this is a guy that could uh, definitely, you know, just dominate through his strength and stuff like that but uh as regards to like doc rivers like i think doc rivers and especially daryl Morey too have just done like a masterful job in creating this roster around simmons and Embiid. because like in the past you know obviously they've had a team with jj reddick and jimmy butler per se and you can argue that that has the most you know star power the most high-end talent uh, that we've seen a Sixers team have around these two but you know now they have guys like Seth Curry, Shake Milton obviously Max, he's kind of fallen out of the rotation a little bit uh, as opposed to where he was at the start of the year but he's still you know like an interesting guy to bring off the bench. Uh, Tobias Harris has been pretty important for this team he's you know after gaining a lot of criticism last year for you know pretty inconsistent play and Especially like when it came down to big shot moments, you know, Tobias Harris was not converting as well. Tobias Harris has taken major uh, leaps and bounds this year. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, said that he should be an all star. And, you know, I think if the East wasn't so stacked with talent this year, then he easily would have been an all star. And I think a lot of that has to do just, again, like with the spacing that Maury's created uh, on this team, you know, swapping Josh Richardson for like Seth Curry. You know when you look at it on paper and you compare the two you you're like okay both are can both are averaging like you know 13 15 points a game whatever Josh Richardson might be like a better defender as opposed to Seth Curry being a better three-point shooter but that little swap that happened I think on draft night has made all the change in the world uh, as far okay. as the on-court spacing and that's really allowed all these guys to flourish at the maximum level as well as you know the changes that they've made to their own game and um you know aside from that i think going back to like the body control that ben simmons has is like spectacular and you know ben simmons is one of those guys that i think like you don't get the true value of what ben simmons is by box scores obviously which is the main topic of why we're here but even if you like are someone that reads into like advanced metrics i still don't think that gives you enough of an insight on how good he really, like, you really just have to pick up the remote and watch Ben Simmons play because this is a guy, like, for me, um, I've seen him, like, when Ben Simmons came into the league, I was still at Temple University. I think I was, like, a sophomore or something, so that's in Philadelphia. So I had the pleasure of watching a lot of Sixers games and going to a couple as well. And Ben Simmons is a guy that literally can not score an entire game but can still, for me, change the whole tune of the game. Because he has that thing, he has a thing with, like, and I think Giannis shares this too, uh, where, like, if he's driving, right, and even if he's doing the driving kick, like, over and over again, you still have to collapse on him in the paint because he's that good at finishing at the rim. You know, he's that good with his hook shot inside. And you have to, you know, there's the idea that, oh, you can just linger around inside and not worry about Ben Simmons if he's just sitting out there on the three point line. Like, okay, yeah, he won't beat you, you know, off the shot on a spot up opportunity or something. But if you're gonna let Ben Simmons just cut to the rim, like that's a problem right there. Like you're not stopping a oh, that yeah, yeah, like yeah. man who's I think what, like six ten or something, six nine maybe, oh, yeah. and, you know, two two hundred something pounds. And he's cutting to the rim with his kind of speed, which is already remarkable for someone of that size, is is unstoppable really. And, you know, just, you know, to wrap sort of this topic up, like the main thing is from my side, at least is just because he doesn't have a jump shot, which first of all, if he did have a jump shot. The whole league would be absolutely done for because that would be absolutely terrifying <laughs> oh my for God. any defense to game plan for. But the main thing that, you know, I wanted to say for Ben Simmons from my side, and I'll definitely, you know, let you sort of conclude your point is, um you know, Ben Simmons is really just, and all he's really is like one of the great young talents that we have in this era of basketball. Exactly. And I think it, the fact that he can dominate the game without three point shot in a league and in an era which is dominated by the three point line. And we've seen so many players whose games rely on inside scoring kind of die out, aside from the few that go on to be superstars. I think that's remarkable. And like the fact that, you know, we sit here or like NBA Twitter sits here here, NBA Instagram, NBA TikTok, whatever you want to say. They sit there and they, you know, critique Ben Simmons and, you know, laugh and make memes about his shot, which is fine, you know, everyone's gonna get criticized, but you you shouldn't sleep on who Ben Simmons is. Like there's people that really think out there that Ben Simmons isn't a star player, which is absurd to me. Just because like there are people that think yeah, like there are people that think Ben Simmons shouldn't have been an all star this year. And you know, was I salty about Trey Young not making it? Sure, I was. But um, Ben Simmons is 100, percent you know, an all-star by every, you know, aspect of what defines that. So yeah, I mean, I'll let you, you know, say whatever you have yeah. to say. No, nah, I appreciate it. Uh, I think what you brought up about Tatum is sort of really
1: unique because I think Tatum is a player that I think is subject to sort of the wrong form of an- excuse, me, excuse me, the wrong form of analysis that. Tatum is the sort of guy who excels in space. In this era, you know, dominated by three-point shot, as he said. Tatum is the sort of guy who, when you think about him in this, not only space, but pick-and-roll heavy basketball era, I think you sort of reduce what he can do when you think about him just, oh, he can do this in the pick-and-roll. When Tatum, just by himself, and just thinking about the angles at which people have to defend him, it breaks the game. And I think Ben Simmons is in a similar position. I arguably say Ben Simmons is like the bizarro Tatum because, you know, there was that issue with Tatum where they're like, well, Tatum takes these weird mid-ranges and he doesn't drive to the hoop enough. He doesn't take these layups. And, you know, he doesn't, you know, go in and use that physicality. And I think Ben Simmons had a similar, you know, has the thing where it's like, oh, wow, he's really good on the inside, really good with his hook shot, you know, has his little faders and runners and floater. But, you, you know, people don't understand that, there's a lot of levels to this game and depending on your role and the offense and what your coach asks of you, which is really what determines on the basketball team, what you do um, that, you know, some people may look worse or better depending on the context. And I sort of appreciate you really talking about how like, and everyone in the NBA, first of all, is like a freak of nature. I mean, seven foot guys were like dribbling the ball, like it's on a string dancing with all that. And like, the fact that people, I feel, don't appreciate, like, wow, what Ben Simmons can do is, like, freakish to me. Because you see all these people, like, wow, look at Trey Young. He's shooting from deep. He's doing all these passes. But it's, like, the perfect person to put next to Trey Young would be Ben Simmons because they complement yeah. each other so well. And people don't understand that. that It's, like, they both have such complementary skill sets. And when you look at Trey and you look at Ben, I think they're on the same tier as players. They're both, like players that are still growing into their own, that can helm, that can lead an effective team. Now, would I want Ben Simmons leading the sixes? God, no. <laughs> because yeah. we have Embiid right now, and Embiid is what? M- he's MVP contender before he went down with that very yeah. scary mm-hmm. theory. Yeah, and Ben Simmons is just, just, quote, unquote, all NBA. <laughs> like, just all yeah. NBA. But, like, he, he is so good in all of the different things different that he things. does – you know, in his screening and his ability yeah, and to still, manipulate, yeah. eat up space to create opportunities for his teammates, as opposed to Tatum, who I'd say is Tatum, a more, Tatum. not to say Tatum doesn't have the ability to create for his teammates, but when Tatum is shining, it's because Tatum is taking these amazing, like, amazing you know, amazing. double step back threes and, you know, he's trying you know, to pass the guy and sort of showing his finesse. finesse. And I think, and I we think... sort of over appreciate those, sort those of players, of players as opposed to the more quiet players who players, may you know do things where it's more of like hey i'm in the hey, I'm, spot and i'm just and gonna and stand because here stand and because here, i'm here and he, you can get to the rim and get, you know, yeah other defenders look stupid and I think, I think because we don't have the ability to measure that as well we lose out on appreciating those guys for what they are but yeah that's yeah. all i really want to say we should appreciate ben simmons more because he's so good
0: yeah, and uh, I guess like a brief transition before we get into the next topic because I really do like this conversation, especially about Tatum. And Tatum's another guy, you know, I've watched the Celtics for so long now. And I've watched Tatum, especially since, you know, he's come into the league and, you know, came in and had that remarkable playoff run with the Celtics uh, with young Jalen Brown, young Terry Rozier, and they got to the conference finals Uh, where one went away from the finals. And it's crazy to think, like, you know, statistically, if you look at Tatum's numbers there, it's spectacular, right? He's averaging, like, 27 points a game, you know, five or six rebounds per se. And I think his playmaking uh, or, like, his assist numbers has gone a little better, too. But I look at Jason Tatum this year, and I'm like, he's so frustrating to watch. And it's not, again, like, when Jason Tatum's hot, he's unbelievable. Un- like, unbelievable. Because, again, you go back to, like, we overhyped kind of these you know, the double step backs and all these like finesse moves and stuff. And, you know, when those shots are going in, they look absolutely beautiful. But when they're not, and it's just so frustrating. And I think, you know, with the Celtics this year, it's been so frustrating because, um, it, yeah, Kemba Walker's like obviously struggled returning from injury. But the way I've watched the Celtics this year, as opposed to other years, and especially opposed to the years that they had out Orford, it, it just seems like, Tatum and Jalen aren't necessarily playing off each other like they're they're kind of doing their and this applies to Kemba too but since Kemba's, you know still relatively new coming back uh, more so Tatum and Brown just both of them don't exactly create for each other or kind of help each other get open looks yeah. it kind of feels like both kind of at this point you know Jalen has raised his game so much especially in the mid range that both of them are just kind of ISO balling it coming down the floor and obviously, like, i will occasionally, you know, find uh, the, the kid, uh, what's his name, Peyton Pritchard, for, like, a couple threes here and there. You know, Marcus Smart will rally off some wild shots, and some of them will fall, some of them won't. Um, but that, along with the fact that their bench is, like, pretty shallow with guys that really don't know how to create. Uh, Evan Fournier's only been there for two games, so I, it's still too early to say how that will work. But, you know, the first I two th- games have obviously been pretty ugly. Uh, go on.
1: Yeah yeah sorry about that. I was just going to say I think what really made um the Celtics really successful and that's sort of what they they're missing out on at the moment is you know Horford and Haywood. I think As you said, Tatum and Brown are sort of both like ISO artists. You know, they're very good at creating for themselves. And if something collapses on them, they can make the pass, which is what you want out of your high-level scoring types. But I think the issue is that because there was Haywood there, you know, sort of unselfish player or Horford, you had those guys who could make the necessary pass. And that's a lot of what sort of Ben Simmons does. And that's why people talk about Ben Simmons and now Horford in that, oh, the box score doesn't tell the whole story. Because, you know, they would too. They'll make that extra pass, you know, that quick pass to the corner, which, you know, allows Jalen to, you know, attack that, close out and, you know, get the score. And I think that's really what the Celtics are missing. Because you have Kemba, who is, again, still recovering, but you have Kemba, you have Tatum and you have Brown. And these guys are all excellent scorers. But there's no one on that team who sort of serves as, like, the connective tissue between those guys. You know, who sets the screen for Kemba and, you know, instantly relocates so that if they get the ball, they can pass it to Brown. If they see Brown is open. Like, they don't have that guy right now. And I think Daniel Tice actually did a really, really good job of doing that because he was so unselfish yeah. and he sort of had that negative gravity, which is partially why I don't understand the trade. Don't get me wrong, I understand you want to give Time Lord more time because Time Lord is amazing and that vertical spacing is so valuable. But I think, the need, again, I think a lot of the issues I see with the Celtics is just and this applies to all basketballs, just the way they look at the players is sort of like, oh, why isn't Tatum doing this or why isn't Brown? Again, it's they need someone who can play that role, who doesn't need to score, yeah. and who's okay with just passing all game. And um, these guys on uh, Twitter, Premium Hoops, at Premium Hoops NBA, um, it's a really good collection of writers. And I think they just started a Boston Celtics uh, podcast where they really talk about this stuff like in depth. And they talk about these sort of of issues with the Celtics and how they really do need someone to sort of connect the plays. And I think that's really what a lot of teams need and why I'm really happy, you know, we were able to discuss sort of like Ben Simmons's role and how it sort of segued into this, that, you need those passing bigs or those extra-large passing wings who can sort of make sure the offense runs really well. Because unless you're LeBron James, like you're not making sure everyone else on the court is eating and passing as well because LeBron's a freak like that. And people would constantly be like, oh, LeBron passes too much, he doesn't score enough. But it's because LeBron was able to take that role where I don't need to score because I'm just going to get mine, so I'll just make sure everyone else eats. And I think the Celtics are missing that guy, the guy who makes sure that everyone else eats. Normally that's your point guard, but Kemba's more of a combo scoring guard, you know. He likes to step back, he likes his thing. And without Daniel Tice doing sort of those sneaky screens that they're calling now, <laughs> you know, Kemba can't eat that same way. Yeah. So
0: Nah, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of Celtics fans were really upset about the Daniel Tice fade. Like, you know, we all knew that like the Robert Williams, the Time Lord, was gonna get more minutes. But, you know, flipping him for just um, Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett just didn't make sense to a lot of us. And, you know, not to say I'm a Celtics fan, but, you know, being someone in mass, like it's like a topic of discussion a lot recently. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing I wanted to say before we switch over to our next topic, too, is I think that criticism of, you know, LeBron being too passive is honestly like one of the stupidest things that i've heard for like years now because it's like so many people want you know the big player to take the final shot right which evidently makes sense because you know you want your star player to um win the game for you because that's essentially what you know people's idea of a star doing things for a team is but um i think like lebron when he does like pass out right and he gets you know, these open shots for these role players, you know, whether that be a Caruso, Leslie Matthews, or whoever on his team uh, is open. I mean, that in turn is the best shot available technically, right? And like, yeah, you know, he might have a better shot of hitting like a fadeaway in the clutch um, over like two people because he's LeBron freaking James. But, you know, in the end of the day, he is making the right theoretical decision. Um, so, yeah, uh, switch over to our next topic here and – basically i think a lot of people i think have gotten more in touch with the draft recently and um, a lot of that is due to the fact that draft capital is becoming more and more uh, of a thing in the nba as it comes to trades and stuff like that i mean the biggest kind of meme of you know this season has been how the thunder have literally sold everything and acquired 34 draft picks over the next seven years. Oh, yeah. They, they have a bunch of say. eighth
1: graders. They have a bunch yeah. of eighth graders just ready to sign, like, right now, just a bunch of middle schoolers.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, like, I like doing, uh, you know, NBA 2K, like, rebuilds and stuff like that. And it's, like, I don't even like picking the Thunder because it's just, like, okay, I have all these picks. Now I have to, like, cut, like, a first-round pick, right? It's, like, what? How is this? Uh, how do I do this? But, um... So, aside from the Thunder, you know, the Pistons have kind of tried to follow this model. Uh, Their GM, Troy Weaver, uh, who was recently hired, also came from that Sam Presti system. Uh, The Magic obviously traded away Vooch, Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier to acquire some of these young guys, like RJ Hampton, Wendell Carter, and a slew of picks as well. And obviously the Rockets had their big deal with James Harden. And while, you know, I'm not fond of the player return, as I've told you guys before, um, they still got, you know, a bunch of picks and pick swaps going forward. So those were just like some of the teams I brought up. There's obviously more than that. And I really wanted to get your take on, um, and you know, before I asked, you know, I wanted to get his take on this because, uh, I know Tim is someone that's connected with a lot of, uh, you know, higher up NBA folk than both me and him are. So he can give more of a educated insight on this as, um, uh, he talked about, you know, back in the intro. So Yeah. To the main question being, you know, what NBA front office, you know, do you see is best positioned uh, to make a transitional rebuild, you know, fluid rebuild and put themselves back into playoff contention and potential NBA contention? You know, like we said previously, the Sixers have done this by acquiring the two cornerstones, Ben Simmons and Embiid. Uh, Celtics said this with Tatum Brown. And obviously no prospect is a guaranteed hit, no prospects is a guaranteed miss. And, um, but it does help when certain teams have you know better scouting uh, at their hand, right? Just better knowledge of how to really play a a, play, a young player, because I think you know beyond just drafting a young player, right? Because there's obviously like a ton of talented young guys that come into the league. If you make it to the NBA, you have to have a certain baseline of talent, which only less than like one percent of the world has, and. I think what's so important going beyond just finding the right guy is understanding how to you know maximize who that player is and understanding why he's drafted into your system which i think is why we see you know players come into the league and you know either just not live up to the hype and sort of disappoint people and then you see them go on to another team or play in another system per se and Suddenly, you see what they're really what the whole package was like. For example, Julius Randle under the tip system. So yeah, sorry for rambling on, but
1: no, it um, is it, it is all good. Uh, sort of with that example they that said with uh, uh, Julius Randle, and you also talked about franchise cornerstones. I think that's really important because, because when you're looking I mean, at draft picks and draft capital, um, you really have to think about. You, you really have to think about, do we already know what direction this team is going in? So, for example, when you brought up teams like, you know, when you bring up teams like Detroit, teams like Detroit and you know, the OKC, I think OKC, OKC is still is. in a very sort of malleable stage. I think that's what I'll use. Um, you know, Shea is an amazing player, significantly 100%. better than any of us thought he would be. But Shea, Shea, Shea is still sort of, Figuring out who he is and Shay is so unique. Because we saw him because with CP3 yeah. Intruder. So he can play next to another star, and they have Poku, yeah. and you can take your time with that. But we don't know well, where the Thunder will be in three or four years. We don't know who their star players yeah. will be. I think the team actually in the best position moving forward is New Orleans. New because they have Zion, they have BI, they yeah. have Lonzo. Yeah. And once you have a guy like Zion, you know, a generational talent you know, the guy's been a superstar since he was like 15, and, you know, yeah. seven dunking on tiny children. Like yeah. We know... <laughs> We know that Zion, the team goes as team far as Zion goes, and once you have that cornerstone, then you can really and build around really that. And I think that's the most important thing: having a cornerstone just... and then having a front office and like staff and like that staff you can really, really appreciate and that you can, and you can, you know, can maximize those talents. Because, uh, for example, um, you have uh like the raptors and part of the reason why the raptors are always really good and they seem like they're 10 20 players deep is, is because there's no cap on your front office there's no cap on your coach so the raptors so, have one of the best g-league teams ever 905 alice yeah. johnson he he was on the nets dude got a double double people are gonna forget about him meanwhile he was one of the best players in the G League. like g-league scouts like actual g-league scouts are raving about this guy like how is this guy not picked up somewhere and that's because the, uh, Masai Ujiri and, you know, the other people there, they understand the importance yeah. of having a good infrastructure, a good framework, you know. The Raptors understand having Masai as a GM, having those systems the of system your, you know, your G, G- League is very good. And so when you talk about that question in general, and I'm sorry for being so roundabout with the answer, while well, no, I think is probably in the best position, but if I was to say the next best position, I'd say Sacramento. Sacramento? Sacramento. I, I think... Yeah, I think, I think with the Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, like, like, I think what made, and this is going to be really roundabout, I think what I think made Steph Curry kind of great was the fact that they found sort of their foundation. foundation. Because Steph was great and it Steph was going to be exceptional is. no matter where he was. But they have Clay and they have Draymond. And once you have those sorts of guys around a guy like Steph, those two are those both defensive monsters defensive. who can cover up for Steph's issues. And, you know, Clay spaces the floor, Clay can get hot, Draymond does that passing and that unselfish role that I spoke about before. Then you suddenly can go, oh, wow, now we can just sort of put whatever we want around these guys and we have a team. And I think that's the most important thing. We can't just view players and draft picks as single things. Because when you actually look at the statistics of draft picks, only, like, 10% of them hit. Which means in a draft, you know, let's say with about 60 picks, only about six of those players are going to be good. (laughs) Which isn't... A thing, you know, obviously this is an average and it oscillates from year to year, but most of the time you're you're guaranteed about six or seven players who are actually hits versus misses. Uh, And I think what really matters is understanding that you need to pick players and you need to have those synergies. Those synergies not only across players, but with coaching staff. And that's why I think Sacramento, once they get rid of Luke Walton, because no disrespect to Luke Walton, I just think he isn't the right coach for Mm De'Aaron Fox and his skill set. And then you also have... um, you know, Tyrese Halliburton there with De'Aaron Fox, I think Sacramento's in the most ideal place because they're they're such a bad team right now, and if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to have a high draft pick in a very deep draft where they can draft, you know, a Mobley, uh, you know, a Suggs, you know, one of those guys who I think can really elevate the team because now you have someone like De'Aaron Fox who's quick, who can collapse the defense, who's not afraid of contact, like we were talking about earlier, who will go and drop 40 points. And then you have Halliburton, who isn't the most isn't... athletic or the most bursty, but again he bounces out Fox very well because he has he... those defensive instincts. He's very good at spacing the floor. You know, he's yeah. he has that length. He has that he ability has to galvanize be... his teammates and to you know sort of you know, be a floor be general a... while Fox is getting his own. And I think once you think- have all those things it you know on your team, then you can really be like, okay, now we're in a good position for the future. Now, it's a shame that Bagley couldn't have been part of that, because I think Bagley would have been a really good sort of foil, but I think he just doesn't fit that synergy that you have yeah. with Aaron Fox and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. And I think Orlando's I think- in a very good position as well, because they have Jonathan Isaac, who... I don't think he's don't, that amazing, but I know people who have watched much more Orlando than I will ever watch. You know, just spend yes. Orlando, I just, it's just it's really not getting through those games sometimes. <laughs> but you have Jonathan Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, and you have, like, he's, what is he, one of the is best you? defenders that the league has ever seen? Like, they were talking about how he's yeah. DPOY. It was him and Jaron Jackson Jr. who They're like, wow, yeah. these guys are insane. And, yeah. you know, you also have Cole Anthony, who, uh, at pd at above the break three on twitter pd web he's one of the best scouts analysts in the game he told me personally that Cole anthony Anthony was one of the best weak side defenders defenders. like he's ever seen at his level level. now obviously he was very injured when he played in college but when you think of that you have a short guard who is an amazing weak side defender who's an amazing help defender next to someone who they would You know, as a rookie, as a sophomore, they're talking about is a perennial DPOY uh, contender, Defensive Player of the Year contender. Then you really have to go, like, wow, okay, this is actually the makings of a very good foundation for like a contending team in the future. And that's what makes people like Randall, as you said, with Tim, the new coach, so good that you know you have that coach who can put in the system, and then you have Randall, who can now space the floor, his shooting's improved. And then you have Mitchell Robinson, who can go and eat inside. You have RJ Barrett, who likes to create from the perimeter. And because and- Randall's there, Randall takes a lot of that heat off of RJ. And even though RJ and Randall have very similar skill sets, it's sort of the thing where RJ can assume Randall's role. Like, if you're doubling Randall, you're going to have trouble getting RJ, because RJ's one of the strongest wings out there. He's a yeah. very strong guy for his size, very long, very good at getting to the rim. He's actually been getting to the rim less this year because he's been, you know, relegated to more of a supporting role to Randall. But that's just yeah. what makes that synergy so good. The fact that RJ can scale down and still be an effective player. And so, overall, with your question, I think Detroit's in a really you know, good position if Samuel can get, you know, figure out whatever it is because they have Killian <laughs> Hayes. They have. Yeah. To win, Hayes. You know, you have those players who can serve as the foundation of a great team. And if you have the right coach, they can give them the right playing philosophy that allows them to excel. But I think it's really about having the synergy of the coach and the players and having all of that together and not being afraid to splurge on your front office.
0: Yeah, so before I get into uh, everything you just said, um, with regards to Cole Anthony, I remember, like, just first of all, he's been like a highly touted, you know, high schooler for so long it felt like, right? And then he got to UNC and obviously, you know, things didn't pan out I think the way most people wanted it to. And I remember watching him and I thought this kid was like, you know, five eleven or six feet tall. I didn't realize he's like genuinely like six two, six three, I believe. And that took me by surprise. But also I think, you know, the reason, you know, why he struggled in college so much and the reason his stock fell was the spacing at UNC that year was just awful. Um oh, you know and the shot creating, like, I don't, like, obviously, you know, Cole Anthony isn't too much of a distributor himself, um, but, like, the shot creating for from teammates to him and him to teammates was just terrible. So um, I definitely agree. Like, I loved watching Cole Anthony in the early parts of the season uh, when it was, like, the two-man game at the guard position between him and uh, Markel Fultz. And I really like how they've added uh, RJ Hampton from Denver uh, oh, in the yeah. Gordon trade as well. And, you know, whether Bamba has looked kind of good now that he's gotten an extended run uh, over the last couple games now that Vucevic is gone. Uh, But I do also like, you know, Wendell Carter coming in from Chicago. I just thought, you know, something just didn't click uh, with the system there. But I think he has, like, some playmaking capabilities from the post. And, you know, he hasn't shown himself too much as a shooter yet. But I do think, uh, excuse me, there is some, like, potential to be had there. Um, But, yeah, you know, aside from that, uh, the G League part, I totally agree with actually like the first um, the first time I made a YouTube video for you know the YouTube side of this whole podcast channel, whatever you want to call it, uh, was about how like the the additions of Jalen Green, um, Jonathan Kuminga and some of those other high school kids that elected to go to the G League this year uh, was going to be huge. And so finally getting, you know, the public eye on the G League itself. And I think, you know, there's obviously much room for growth as it regards to that. But I do think, you know, major strides have been made because I think for the first time, really, like when Jalen Green and Kuminga were playing, especially, you saw, I saw like my own Twitter feed and stuff like that trending with like Jalen Green highlights, like kids that were so hype, so ready to see these guys enter the league. And, you know, they solidified their draft stocks by playing extremely well. And to me, that's even more impressive than you know someone that balls out in college like you know Cade Cunningham obviously is the number 1 pick you know Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley are uh the top 3 i think consensus wise you know you can debate oh, Suggs yeah. and Jalen Green but i would personally take Suggs for the you know mold of player he is um and oh, they I'm like so you know they did the
1: draft <laughs> like i'm so oh, yeah <laughs> like everyone i know is like yeah here's my big board and i'm like bro i have <laughs> only watched Cage.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm kind of addicted to a fall here. I've got, I like, I've just got so many prospects here that I all just like like and want to just shove in the first round, but there's only like 30 spots in the first round. But um, yeah. yeah, like getting back to that, um, you know, with Jalen Green, you know, averaging 18 and I believe like five and two assists per se. And just the way he played in the G League against real professionals is just, oh, was yeah. just the most impressive thing to me of any prospect like from an individual like gameplay standpoint obviously like there's the little fundamental stuff and you know the overall mold of the player like i just said that makes some of these other prospects so much more intriguing but as far as like a resume standpoint i think doing what they did in the g league was fantastic and it's such a good look for the nba because i mean in baseball um per se minor league is such an important thing Yeah, yeah
1: they'll just pull a a picture from the minor league (laughs) and that guy will just like do a bunch of no hitters and they're like this guy came out of nowhere i'm really excited about the infrastructure sorry for interrupting no i'm really excited about that because you have guys like you know a ball who went to australia you have the ignite team and i think that's what's really important i think with the issues with the ncaa we saw what they did to the women in the bubble bubble. and keep in mind like the men got the good end of the stick (laughs) Yeah, and even then it was piss poor. Like, like we. I'm just happy that there's more alternatives for these players to go and develop because you know being on a college team, you know, and training, you know, with John Calipari or you know with Coach K, that you have all of these things is nice, but going to a team in, you know, let's say Australia or in the G League where you're the guy, you're playing against real adults. Like part of the reason Luka Doncic came here and excelled so much is because he was the guy in EuroLeague. He was yeah. playing with grown adults and he was, an he was an MVP out there. And that's when yeah. he came here and he's instantly contended for MVP because he played against real adults and was able to build that experience. So I think the Ignite teams is the American equivalent of like EuroLeague for those young guys.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Luka Doncic was literally like the easiest prospect to squat to scout because it's like, okay, this kid's like a child, and he's won MVPs like in Euro League. Like, what? What is the debate here? But um, yeah, I mean, aside from that, I think you know, going to your answer about Sacramento now, I think that's gonna strike so many people as just like a hot take, but I think you explained it so perfectly. And for one, I do like the Kings uh, a lot. You know, obviously they have a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to make decisions on, you know, personnel and stuff. Um, you know, I thought they had a really interesting draft last year because, for one, I, it really started with the second round prospects for me. And we haven't seen too much of them, but Robert Woodward and Jameis Ramsey were both guys that Draft Twitter was crazy high about, you know, as far as, how they fit in and also like their overall upside especially with ramsey who was a one and done in texas tech and he fell all the way to the second round we haven't seen much of him and then you know as in regards to Halliburton, i mean Halliburton is like ridiculously fun to watch like everything he does it just it just seems like he plays like the perfect way of basketball and it's interesting because he's a guy that like i was a little bit concerned about because he is only i believe 175 pounds. Stuff, so i was worried about how well his you know overall finishing would translate but he just has like he just has it he's just so smooth and the way he like moves around the court and is able to still you know attack the rim i think he's still hitting a really good percentage of his floaters and on top of that you know i think a lot of people had the concern about his shot translating and you know if oh, cause you know so teams slow. would try to yeah it's like a weird kind of wind-up-y shot with not a lot of jump on it and you know i could see the concern behind it as it would translate to shooting off the dribble but still i mean it's it, if it's not broke you know don't fix it is is the same right <laughs> I, and i think
1: a lot of that issue and again i'm sorry for interrupting no that, you're fine is that is that it comes from Halliburton playing from a very young age and not having a lot of strength you see yeah. a little of that Lamelo too is that these young guys you know they're shooting from deep and they don't have the upper or lower body strength to really generate it so they have these really weird shot habits and I mean, yeah. what you're gonna see is that if Halliburton becomes the sort of player that i think he's gonna become in the next five years he's gonna become super jacked He's going to be so strong be, and watch. And As he becomes and he, stronger, that shot's going to get quicker. He's going to be better on the defensive and end, and he's going to be able to body people on the inside. Because Halliburton yeah. has – if you look at him, he's, he's so gonna, wiry. He can put so much muscle on his frame. And if he can do he that has, without compromising his speed or other parts of this game, it, it, it's, it's a wrap.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, absolutely. I mean, this guy was a guy that on my big board last year, I think I had him around, like, the 6 or 7 range. Obviously, it would be higher than that if we redid that now. But uh, he's a guy I definitely wanted, like, my Hawks to draft, especially because, you know, I knew the Rondo fit wasn't going to be perfect, and I did want someone to come in and become, like, a lead uh, or, like, a secondary ball handler to Trey Young, and I thought that would have been uh, really nice. But, um, you know, aside from it, we got uh, a Kongu and bigs translate differently to the NBA uh, as opposed to guards now. Because I think a lot of the bigs, you know, that are getting hyped up, you know, with uh, these channels like Ball is Life, Hoop Mixtape, these are guys that, for the most part, they go through high school and most of college just dominating guys off the the build of their sides, right? They're Usually they're always, like, the biggest player on the court, um, even in college. And in college, like, they're if they're not the biggest player, they're the most athletic big man on the court. And so I think it's going to – it always takes time to – for them to sort of adapt to the nba curve but um yeah going back to the script i mean sacramento i think is so interesting and darren fox for one you know i don't think a lot of people have taken notice but he's been absolutely unbelievable in march um he just torched my hawks like the other day and then he followed that up with like the 37 points and then he followed that up with like the 44 points and uh and these are all like scoring outbursts that he put on like above 50 percent shooting which is equally absurd. Um, It feels like finally, like the three-point shot is really going down for him, uh, especially off the dribble now. Like he's hitting a lot of step-back threes, which I didn't really see in the past, which is amazing to watch as someone who was a big fan of him coming out of college. And I think with him and, you know, Halliburton and some of these other guys, and I do think there's still value that they can accumulate with this team. Um, Buddy Heald, I think, you know, he's had a bit of a down season, But I do think, you know, other teams will probably still see some value in him, even though he's on a bit of a high contract, Um, you know, as someone that can hit threes. Like, when he gets hot, he's hot. You know, this guy's like, he's a very streaky shooter. And we've seen it before, you know, especially in the catch-and-shoot game. Buddy Buddy Heald is very lethal. And um, aside from him, Harrison Barnes was a guy I thought he was going to get traded because... Harrison Barnes is so good. Yeah, and it was really unbelievable because, you know, for a while it felt like Harrison Barnes was in limbo as, like, a a high-volume, shot-heavy wing that isn't really good enough to be, like, one of your top players. But now, like, he's so much more efficient. It feels like he plays the game a lot smarter than when he did when he was, like, the leading option on the Dallas Mavericks, per se, and his, like, first maybe year or two on the Kings. Um, So I thought he was going to get traded to one of the you know, higher-up teams who are willing to sacrifice, you know, capital. And I think either way, you know, whether the Kings decide to keep Harrison Barnes as someone to really play um, alongside their young core or decide to ship him off on their assets, I think, I mean, you can't go wrong with him. And like you said, Bagley really doesn't fit on this team. Um, I'm not exactly sure what his, you know, trade capital would be bringing back because, you know, he's someone that really, you know, struggled defensively. Um, offensively, offensively, there's just been a complete lack of consistency. And then on oh, top of ben that, he started on Bagley's
1: defense. There's yeah. a clip of him. There are a few clips of few him where he just drops and then he drops and then he drops <laughs> and then he really drops like to the baseline and is like out of bounds. And it's like, bro, this dude just, he
0: just scored yeah. on you.
1: What are you doing? Like, rotate, rotate. do something. Oh, God. It's, it's
0: so frustrating oh. to watch too because like when when i saw him at duke and high school it was like wow this guy's like an athletic chris Bosch. like a more athletic chris Bosch. And obviously i was you know a little bit younger and didn't see the whole bigger picture um as i do more so now but um hold on my my bad i accidentally turned my flashlight on but um oh, yeah i mean cool. i think sacramento you know I, I really like the rashawn holmes guy i think you know he's someone that's oh, really Sean come off that push shot oh that push it's so weird it's like a funky funky little you know floater hook blend that he shoots from like that free throw range area and it seems to always go down on top of that you know he plays with an extremely high motor uh which I absolutely love about him and I do think you know he, he's a guy that they should uh keep long term because i mean it's hard to find like unless you get a guy like Mobley and even With Mobley, I think you can run Mobley at the four position alongside Holmes. And uh, aside from that, like, Holmes is just such a great energy guy to have on the team, you know, with his rebounding instincts, with his inside scoring. Um, he's just a guy that seems like uh, he gets the team going with his energy. But, um, you know, aside from Sacramento, uh, I think my answer personally, um, I think, is Minnesota. And it's not because they just have, you know, the high end talent of Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and um, DeAndre That's a hot Dustin.
1: take, actually. That's a hot take. A lot of people are still um, not sure on uh, Anthony Edwards.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, personally, I just, I've always been biased toward Anthony Edwards. And, you know, I do think, you know, he has to be smarter with his shot selection, like, of course. And, you know, he does suffer from that tunnel vision. Um, but, you know, the scoring upside is. Clearly there, um, You know, he's had some of these nights recently that, you know, he's shooting more towards 50% rather than the 30%. And it's still very inconsistent, uh, obviously. But, you know, what Chris Finch, I think, has done uh, with the Minnesota offense, you know, really utilizing Carl Anthony Towns more as a playmaker has obviously like, you know, the winning hasn't happened extraneously. But I think just their offense looks so much more fluid now. Obviously, you have like these possessions that, you know, get hung up on, you know, Anthony Edwards taking contested uh, mid ranges or just out of control driving to the rim. But I do think if he can kind of harness that and get more under control, then, you know, he's obviously going to reach a new level. But even beyond, you know, Edwards D'Lo, and Collin Towns, you know, I love what this team has done with some of the younger role players. Um, you know, and Reed. Uh, has become like a really solid backup big man for them who's also, you know, multidimensional in the fact that he can hit the three, you know, he's someone that can even handle the ball per se. And you know, he was part of that, you know, collective of high school basketball players that were called like Jelly Fam that had like the fancy, uh, fancy like finger roll layups or something. And I, I remember him from that, but, you know, seeing he was really just, you know, really raw LSU, but now he's come in and really kind of honed his own into his second season. And even Nasir on Reid's side, you know, they drafted Jalen Noel in the second uh, round a couple years back. I think he's, he's you know, starting to, yeah, he's picking up some attention because he's, you know, had a couple big nights here and there. I was absolutely, you know, loving the uh, Jaden McDaniels pick from the draft because he's a guy that, you know, going into the season or going into the college season, I remember people had him as a top five pick. um, But, you know, he struggled at Washington with his shot. Uh, inconsistency and stuff like that. And he felt all the only way... the guy
1: from Washington who's struggling with the shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know what goes on up there. But anyway, uh, he slid all the way down to like 27. And I was just like, oh, he has to get snatched up here. And I think he's like the perfect, you know, whether they want to play him at the wing. I think he's more of a four uh, than he is a wing. But, you know, having him play next to Condé Towns, I think his defense... He has, like, the potential to be one of the better uh, and more versatile defenders in the league because I think he moves uh, a lot more better than, like, some of the more bigger guys in the league because I think he's, like, 6'10", which is... uh, And he's, oh, like, yeah. really... He's, like, really lanky. But he,
1: he moves like he's
0: 6'7". Exactly. And, you know, that, along with the fact that I'm pretty sure... he looks like he has, like, a massive wingspan. And that allows him to really contest. And more recently, his offense has picked up as well. And I really think they just have a really nice collective of young players. Like they missed on Jared Culver. I think that's pretty clear. Oh, um, I,
1: I, I think Jared Culver I think, I think I, I'm not sure if he fits, he fits on, this on this team, team but, but I think I he's think a he, quality he, NBA player. Yeah. Like he's, he's a high he's level a high rotation player. guy. I think that's like his currency. Like, like I mean that, at the start, guy, you know.
0: know. My bad.
1: Sorry, what were you saying? I was talking about (laughs) he's just a high-level rotation guy. You know, he's going to make his shots. shots. He's He's going to attack closeouts. He's going to play some really good defense, you know, know, at the point of attack. So I think that's still a very valuable player.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, the problem with Culver has really just been, you know, the game-to-game who he is. I think at the start of the year, he had a really nice start to the season. You know, you saw him kind of show some of those physical tools that he had. Uh, coming out of texas tech um obviously you know the shooting hasn't picked up as much as you know people would have liked to and like you said you know he really doesn't really have a place on this team right now with you know some of the pieces that are around him like rubio dilo edwards um towns Nas reed and noel all who use the, um, the ball in their hand a lot obviously noel has you know translated more so in the spot up game, than a lot of people expected, but he's also someone that really benefits from on ball creation. And then on top of that, you know, I don't know if Malik Beasley has like a future on this team uh, oh, too far into he the long term. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I think I, I think I Malik Beasley is one of
1: my favorite, one of favorite, favorite players in players the league because on the Devon I'm Nuggets, he was so slept on. So, meanwhile, this yeah. dude can just, can just he can shoot like can 10 threes a game, 10 a game and he'll be efficient.
0: And he'll be efficient. Yeah, and I'm, the my, the main concern is like. I'm not sure, like, is he going to get the ball enough to really, you know, maximize? And I know he can create off, like, the spot-up. Or Sorry, not create, but, like, I know he's really good shooting off in uh, spot-up opportunities. But, you know, going back, especially when D'Lo comes back, and you have D'Lo and um, and whether they, you know, start Malik Beasley at the three and run, you know, McDaniels or uh, Jared Vanderbilt, another young guy, that I forgot to bring up. I think he's also been, like, a really nice uh, role player for this team going forward. And Convy Towns, you know, does, is that a lineup, you know, going forward that you can productively win games at both ends of the court?
1: Oh, uh, I think... I- the issue with the Wolves is that they its so weird. They've been in the States for so long, where they're still trying to figure out who they are. You know what I mean yeah. about foundational pieces earlier. Now they have Cat, but you know every good Batman needs a Robin in this league, and so I think with Cat and it's very—I don't think there's much dispute. He's one of the best shooting bigs of all time, like of yeah. all time, and. I think the the recipe for success for, success for this team, for team is for Anthony Edwards to be the second best player. I, yeah. think, I think Anthony, Anthony Edwards end can, end can end be that guy who, in the end of the, end of the, game, of the game, can game score. Can sort score. of like, like what Jamal Murray does with Jokic. Because the issue yeah, is big, big, big struggle big to create in the end of the game during game, the playoffs. Yep. And so you need like a guard or a wing type who can really sort of create. Those guys, those guys are really valuable in the playoffs. You know, the Jimmy Butler Jimmy types. Butler, you know, the LeBron James types. Those guys who can sort of crate out of nothing, nothing off the dribble. And I think, I think Anthony, Anthony Edwards yeah, has that juice, juice you know, you the know, way he can, can attack the head rim. Head the head rim, head the head way he has head those, head even, head those, head even head though it's very head streaky, head he has feet. those step-back shots. And I think if D'Lo is Elo okay is with a, taking that third-person person role, person, being that being guy that who controls most of the game but understands that when it comes to it, it's going to be Cat and Edwards. You know, yeah. those are going to be the, the, the guys in the pick up. He's going to have to stay in the corner or, you know, attack you know, or close out. I think if D'Lo is okay with that, I think there's I a think recipe there for a really successful team. And I think, as I think said, Daniels and uh, Vanderbilt, I think I all think of those, those guys, Nasri too, I think they all have a role if they sort of <laughs> adhere to that they system. But I think it really system. depends on, you know, how good Edwards yeah. is and yeah. how yeah. much they yeah. want to leverage that. Because there are a few different ways you go with the team. And I don't know if... You know, if <laughs> if they are really it, attached to D'Lo because he is Cat's buddy, I think they're yeah. going to find gonna... more use for Malik Beasley than, you know, a Jarrett Culver or even a Vanderbilt yeah. just because of when you have D'Lo as your guard because he doesn't have that vertical burst, you're very limited with sort of what you have to do and how you have to create.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that actually perfectly summarizes... Um, that, that really does perfectly summarize it, and I'm really interested to see, you know, first of all, whether this team is going to get their pick or not. Um, I think it's top five protected, if I'm mistaken. Um, So, yeah, if they get their pick, you know, what are they going to do with that? And if they don't get their pick, you know, how do they – what are they going to do about that, per se? But um, we are coming towards the end of the show. Uh, Initially, we planned this to be, like, around an hour. We went a little bit above and beyond that. But um, I do want to get some final – you know questions out before uh you know we let you go do uh, do whatever you want to do but uh first off you know you talked about malik beasley being you know one of your favorite players because of how you know slept on he was in denver and you know coming into minnesota and he has a massive jump in his game that most people who don't know too much about malik beasley you know wouldn't have seen that coming but you know as someone as people that know malik beasley know his game you know he's know that this was kind of like expected to come and how good of a score he can be. So my question to you is, you know, who has been your favorite player uh to watch in the league this season and uh for what reason?
1: Ooh. Oh that's hard because there's so many there's so many guys. I just I just I love Hoops. I'm one yeah. of the guys who, like, if you cut open my brain, there's a basketball in there. So yeah. I just, there's so many guys I love to watch. Malik Beasley Malik. is one of them. I'd have to say Anthony, Anthony Edwards, as we were just talking about. He is, he is one of my favorite guys to just watch, because he will just dunk on people. He will, like, you know, his highlights, yeah, his highlights, are, just highlights like, are just like, oh, my yeah. God. Like, it reminds me yeah. of why I, I love I, basketball I, in the first place. Like, he has sort of that... I don't want to say Kobe, Kobe, but he has that, like, you know, when Anthony Anthony Edwards gets the ball, ball, it's either going to end in someone fouling him or he's going to about to dunk dunk on on somebody. somebody. Like, I like those sorts of guys. I'd have to say, though, yeah, Anthony Edwards is one of them. Um, Obviously, I love watching Jokic. Jokic is just – his passing is is broken. Yeah, Uh, uh, And and this is probably sort of a weird one. I love watching Alex Caruso. Caruso, Caruso is just... Is, uh, the, bald the bald mamba is just... He is so he is fun so to bald. watch because he's, like, such an aggressive point-of-attack defender. defender. But, you know, yeah. he has those hops that when you see him dunk on someone, you dunk on someone. Oh, my God. Where
0: did exactly. <laughs> I,
1: I love Caruso. And he's been playing a lot of extra minutes since LeBron AD went down until so he hasn't been as good because his style of basketball is very aggressive. But yeah. um, him... uh, I... Probably Dame, because Dame is just carried. He's just carried Portland so well. And I love Dame as a person, Dame, as a player, as an athlete. Yeah. He is so he good. Is so... And I think Norman Powell is going to be a really good addition for good them. Vision.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I
1: think. LaMelo, too. How can I forget LaMelo? LaMelo is literally like a Harlem Globetrotter in the NBA. Like, those behind the yeah. back, passes, back passes, or there was that one show, I'm not sure if you saw it, where, like, someone came oh. close out on him and he, like, spun and then he shot it. Like, right oh, it spun right in place. God. And I was like,
0: it was like, what beautiful. is this
1: guy? It's just like a – he's yeah. a human highlight reel, and I love it. But, yeah, those are probably the guys. Anthony Edwards, Dane, Caruso, um, LaMelo. Uh, yeah, those are the sorts of guys I enjoy and Jokic,
0: yeah, I think, you know, especially when you talk about, um, you know, LaMelo and Ant, I think what separates them, you know, obviously we've had, you know, better rookies in the past, right? We had, like, Doncic come in and dominate the league, per se. We've had a lot of good rookies, especially in the last couple of years, you know, John Moran, Zion Williamson, Trey Young, uh, Luca Doncic, et cetera. But with Ant and LaMelo, it feels like, you know, they just bring so much energy and happiness to the game. Like, they really do, like, everyone, you know, a lot of these young guys look like they're having fun, which is obviously great. But Anthony Davis, I mean, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball just look like they're absolutely loving it out there. Like, they're really just, you know, just living life through basketball, right? And I think that's what makes, for one, it makes the game so beautiful, but it's what makes them, you know, so attractive as uh, NBA players, you know, coming into the league and being able to just be so... Bring so much energy to the court it is really just the best way I can put it. But, um, aside from that, I mean, you know, everyone likes watching some of the stars play. You know, Damian Lillard, of course, has been a joy to watch almost since he's entered the league. Uh, Jokic is literally a NFL quarterback, uh, in the NBA as like a seven foot a fat slob per se. But, um, Embiid obviously, you know, plays like with a, a level of finesse that we haven't seen in quite some time. Trey Young. Uh, taking shots from, like, the logo and uh, just nailing them in pretty deep situations where, you know, you think you want to get, like, a better shot and then Trae Young just decides to do that and, you know, and suddenly they have the lead up by one. But um, personally, I think the one specific player that's really caught my eye uh, this season has been Darius Garland uh, on Cleveland. So Darius Garland is, like, one of those guys that I really – was hype on out of high school as one of those like finessey savvy guards you know that has like a quick handle is able to score at will and i think it was really interesting you know in vanderbilt we only saw i think three games of him before he entered the draft and then his first season in cleveland he really struggled adapting to the nba game which really was kind of expected given that it was it was basically his college season you know since he barely played at college but This year, you know, he's caught my eye so much because, for one, you know, his shooting has gotten, like, a lot better, and I think his playmaking has taken such massive strides. I really did not see Darius Garland being uh, a playmaker at this level um, coming out of college. He really just seemed like someone that was more score first, and I wasn't sure about his fit next to Colin Sexton, and, you know, defensively, it's still unsure about that fit, but... Uh, offensively, you know, some cool. of the, <laughs> Yeah. And I can't wait to see Okoro, you know, make uh, leaps and bounds into his game whenever that happens. Um, but seeing Garland make some of these passes and, you know, run some of these like offensive situations, is, like some of these like uh, the Spain, like pick and rolls and stuff that the Cavs have started doing with Jared Allen and uh, Okoro time to time has really been intriguing. And the way Garland's been able to, you know, carry the offense uh, with this stuff has really been fun to watch for me as someone that's, you know, really, I really get hooked on like some of these guys that I scout and, you know, label as uh, draft prospects. So it's always like if someone, you know, if a prospect that I was big on coming out of college, you know, makes a big leap. It's something that I really, you know, take to heart, like, let's go. Um, but yeah, uh, just to wrap up the, the wrap of the show, you know, Final question of the day. We've seen Jeremy Grant um, basically double his scoring average year uh, from last year to this year, and Christian Wood double his scoring average or probably more than double it, I think. And um, who do you think is or could be next in line for that? Because I think what's interesting about this is, like, we had this talk about Jeremy Grant really early into the season, and you explained to me how, you know, this this thing was kind of bound to happen. Like, him being as good as he was was kind of bound to happen. He just didn't have the opportunity uh, to do so. And it was something that I personally didn't even realize uh, until I, you know, went back and sort of looked at uh, Jeremy Grant, you know, on the Nuggets and, you know, what he was able to do in his role and seeing that, oh, it's like, it's not that his game has improved, you know, tenfold, but it's more so he's just getting the opportunity. So who do you think is, like, a player that, if given the opportunity, or in the in the you know system that they're still in, uh, could make that giant statistical leap next season.
1: Uh, I think most likely, um, and this is just me having a lot of love for the Bulls. I think it's Pat Will. I think Pat yeah. Will is so good, and I, I think he physically is already at the level you know because he was picked a bit high, and a lot of Bulls fans were like. Oh, my gosh, why are you picking him so high? You know, this fan, the other. But what I really liked about Pat Will as, like, a prospect was that, like DeAndre Ayton, he was already physically ready for the NBA. And I think once the game slows down a bit for him and he understands where his spots are, I think Pat Will already has the bag. I think he just needs to understand when to dip into this bag. So I'd say Pat Will and DeAndre Ayton. I think a lot of people have sort of given up on Ayton almost because of Ayton. You know, they're like, what is he doing offensively? He's around Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Those are two of the most ball dominant guys in the league. And being a big who, you know, as we talked about earlier, he was used to always having the ball because he was always the biggest, strongest, best guy. I think as Ayton understands his new role and as Monty Williams empowers him and that's really what matters you know what we talked about being empowered by a coaching you know, and the scheme asking you to do more I think you're going to see Ayton and Pat Will those sort of like I don't want to call them both bigs but you know those sort of guys who have that sort of unique shooting touch but most of their current yeah. utility comes from defensive end I think that's where a lot of this growth comes from that's what happened to Jeremy Grant once you asked him to do less yeah. defensively and you know he's not defending you know the best player on the other team all the time suddenly he's a much better scorer. I think you're going to see that Pat Will. I think you're going to see that DeAndre Ayton. Uh, who else? Um, I think if Wendell does well in Orlando, I think we're going to see a lot of improvement from him. But yeah, I'd say those are probably the three guys I'm really thinking of.
0: Yeah, I think um, with Pat Will, you know, a lot of the, the criticism and the discussion uh, from the Bulls fans especially really just came from the point of not knowing who Pat Will was as like, a player and rather just looking at the fact that, oh, this guy came off the bench in college, and oh, you know, the 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 draft show, I believe is called on ESPN, just kind of labeled him as like a raw prospect rather than, you know, giving you a full evaluation uh, of his game. And I think another thing that people kind of don't take into account uh, with Aiton because, you know, people saw that storyline, Jesus, uh, people saw that storyline of, you know, Chris Paul turns every big man uh, into an all-star per se and ran with it. But not only, you know, like you said, you know, have, you have the two most ball dominant guys in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but Mikhail Bridges has you know turned a massive corner offensively. You know, he's you know he's doing a lot better job at attacking to the basket uh, with more control and poise, and also his shooting has you know taken more leads than he's gone, And they the coach um, Monty Williams has, you know, taken more of a a more of a direction to get McCall more involved in the offense um, rather than center around, you know, feeding a big man, which is why um, in the past that narrative that Chris Paul makes uh, big man all-stars was really formed because there were a lot of, you know, big men, the big men that were involved in the Chris Paul offenses um, were per, like per se had a high usage rate aside from like the, the Clint Capella days uh, with James Harden. I think that's what a lot of people fail to take into account. But um, that's really all I have to say. Um, unless you want to add anything, you know, we'll, we'll probably just wrap this um, up.
1: No, you just – you have the perfect thing. Just think Talk about uh, CP3 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how – you know, for example, someone like DeAndre, if they, if they they aren't if, eating they, unless they someone can't. sets them up. And I think because Aiden, you know, a- and, can and eat a little for himself – people sort of underestimate what he can do but yeah uh i just i appreciate you having me on uh yeah uh if people want to find my twitter it's at the xia 0 zero zero so t-h-e-e-x-i-a zero zero uh on twitter uh i'm sure rish will put put it in the description or whatever but yeah that's uh that's my uh, twitter handle uh everything i'm gonna do is there uh, if you want to see my really uh, spicy basketball takes or really weird memes, uh, <laughs> that's sort of what I do. But I just I really <laughs> appreciate you having me on and uh, listening to me ramble about you know Ben Simmons and DeAndre and, and all those guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I mean, same goes to you. Obviously, you know, very thankful to have you on the show. Um, you know, you're only the the second second the third collab I've done. So far into this podcasting that I do here, and you know I'm very excited because I've been I've literally been hyping this episode up to you know some of my close friends like oh my god you know I'm gonna have like a real real like basketball writer talk to talk to me uh, on my podcast you know about the game and I was so um, so yeah you know that's all folks Uh, thank you guys all for tuning in Uh, again you know like Tim said um i'll be providing you guys with the twitter information um under the instagram post and probably also i'll probably just tag uh tim when i do the twitter post as well uh again highly recommend you guys read the kevin porter kevin porter jr article that he came out with a couple weeks back but um thank you and good night